Today we are going to be headed back into the Old Testament, looking at another famous prison scene involving our good friend Samson, the mighty judge of Israel. Uh, so we're going to be in Judges chapter 16. This time we're going to see that the situation is, is a, a little, it's a lot different than what we've seen before. Uh, we'll see why it's different. But so we'll be in Judges 16, starting out at verse 19. So let's read our text and then we'll get into it. Starting in verse 19, it says, Then Delilah lulled Samson to sleep on her knees. She called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and he said, Oh, I'll go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him... They praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry. They said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and one and the other on his left. And then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were with it, uh, who were in it, excuse me. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Uh, this is not a happy story. <laughs> this, is, this is a sad story. You know, I can confidently say that God's desire for Samson the judge was not this kamikaze mission that ended his life being blind and, and bound in a Philistine prison. You know, God's purpose for raising up judges during this period of Israel's history was to bring victory and freedom for the people, uh, not captivity and oppression. However, the, the end of Samson's life is the opposite of what the Lord had intended for the judges. He's imprisoned, he's maimed, he's stripped of his power and his strength as everyone around him blasphemes his God and uh, praises their own. The difference between his imprisonment and the others that we've seen so far is that his captivity was absolutely of his own doing. It was his familiarity with sin that brought him to this end. It was not the glorious desire of the Lord. It wasn't the Lord said, hey, Joseph, Joseph I'm going to get you down here into this prison so that I can you know, save many, many lives and so that I can do this incredible work through you. No, was, this was Samson's doing altogether. And so this morning, I'd like us to see two small themes that flow out of this text. First, our relationship to sin and temptation. And then second, God's faithfulness to us as his people. So first and mainly looking at our relationship with sin. As we open God's word, and uh, we, we really need to take an honest look at 
how often and how strong the warnings are that we're given regarding sin and temptation in this life. I mean, again and again and again, as we read God's word, it, it very plainly and, and very loudly says, hey, you need to avoid sin. You need to fight against that. You need to guard yourself against it. We can't ignore temptation and sin or ignore the fact that the Bible talks a lot about that for our personal lives. We can't act like sin isn't all around us in the world and isn't within ourselves uh, in our old nature. We are told again and again and again to be on guard against temptations of the world around us, to be on guard against the wickedness of our own hearts within us. And it's such a huge theme in the Bible. And I think sometimes we don't, I, I think in my life, sometimes I don't think about it enough and think about being on guard and being prepared for those things which I'm facing both without and within. Sometimes, you know, I think as Christians, we get a little bit cozy with sin. Maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's a small, you know, personal area, a small personal attitude. Um, but when we allow sin to be a part of our lives, when we're comfortable with it, then it takes a terrible and destructive toll. This is, of course, a very famous passage of Scripture. You know, I mean, this is a famous story. It's one of the early stories that you learn as a young Christian or as a child if you're, you know, brought up in the church. And, uh, you know, even in my Bible, I had some notes in the margins of my Bible from another study that I heard, you know, someone else teach on this chapter. And it pointed out that you can follow the, the progression of sin here for the person of God, you know, for the man of God. And you see that sin binds, sin blinds, sin grinds. And you see what, you know, that familiarity did to Samson. And that is an example to us. It's a demonstration to us of what happens when we get comfortable. It all starts with the choice that we make to lower our defensives and become comfortable with temptation, comfortable with unrighteousness, comfortable with things that are not godly. I mean, look at Samson in verse 19 again. It says, Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees, so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And so Samson got cozy with sexual sin. And we see that throughout his you know, time in the book of Judges. And that's what eventuated in his imprisonment. It wasn't the Lord's, you know, glorious plan to glorify himself is, was to get Samson into prison like he got Paul there or Jeremiah there or Joseph there. Um, it, it, God wanted victory for Samson. God wanted liberation for Samson. God wanted a ministry for Samson. But because Samson embraced his flesh and because his life was devoted to carnal pursuits, he became a slave and a captive to those things. We really have to believe the warnings that God has given us regarding sin in the Bible. Whether it's Samson or David, like we've been learning about the last couple weeks on Sunday mornings. Whether it's the epistles, where it's just plain you know, doctrinal teaching on the issue. Or throughout the rest of the Bible, sin is a serious and prominent issue in God's word. Now, we as Christians are forgiven. We are set apart by God. But we, the life we live and the choices that we make actually matter. And the, the kinds of you know, heart relationships we make with different behaviors and different attitudes, they actually matter. The acts that we commit before God are incredibly important because they have very drastic consequences for good or for evil, both in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And so at the end of the day, you know, we need to be a little bit afraid of our capacity to sin. And then run to the refuge that is Jesus Christ and the power that he's given us to overcome sin and temptation. 
We need to understand, you know, that that just like any of the guys in the Bible that we read about, we have that capacity. And as as it's always pointed out, David didn't just wake up one morning and think, I feel like committing adultery and murdering one of my friends today. And Samson didn't just wake up and think ahead and think, you know, in a few weeks here, I'd like to be a prisoner of the Philistines after they bore out my eyes and have me, you know, grind in the prison of a bunch of Dagon worshipers. That sounds really good, you know, to me. Instead, what we find there and what is true of our own life is that lifestyle choices and heart choices that those guys made led them to the terrible captivity that they found themselves in. And again, the same is true for us. We need to believe God's word and get into it when it starts talking about sin and see if that is rooted at all in our lives and in our hearts and in our behavior. We need to understand that small ungodliness turns into great destruction. That's what happens every time in the Bible. You know, James in his letter says that, you know, even your little tongue, let's, you know, he takes one one area, one, you know, issue in, in life, and he says, your little tongue, and it can set a whole community on fire. It can defile your entire, you know, per- body and person. It is a world of iniquity, he says. Jesus pointed out when he was doing his ministry on the earth that, hey, your eyes, your little eyes, they, they can lead you into incredible amounts of sin. And certainly that is true. Uh, uh, for men who aren't guarded against the sexualization all around us in this culture. That's what happened to David. That's what essentially happened to Samson. And it's these small uh, comforts in temptation and small familiarity with sin that it leads to uh, incredible, incredible tragedy. Uh, we need to accept the fact that there's all kinds of stuff both left over from our old nature and that's trying to poison our spiritual water supply and there are all kinds of influences and snares and temptations around us in the world. And so from within and without, we have to face these fronts and fortify ourselves against us. Because those things, that sin, that evil, wants to make, it, make us captive to wickedness. And we can't get cozy with them. We can't take a fire to our hands and not be burned. But if we're not careful, then we start getting enamored and allured by these things. We start getting lulled to sleep, as it were, like Samson was, and we become like moths drawn to a flame. We laugh and think it's so funny that a little insect sees the, you know, the zapper or the flame and just flies right into it, but it's like they can't help themselves, and that is you know, what we need to recognize about our old sin nature. We have victory over it. The Lord wants victory like he wanted victory for Samson, but we have to choose to deny that old nature and not fly ourselves into that uh, flame, because the result is captivity and spiritual blindness and a complete loss of usefulness in God's kingdom when we are uh, related to sin and comfortable with sin and compromising there. We see it demonstrated in this passage. You, you see it here as they bring Samson out to perform for the Philistines, as they torment him. You know they're blaspheming the God of Heaven and they're praising their you know, stupid little idol, Dagon. And, you know, his ministry and his testimony and his witness was just zero. I mean, he he actually, through his behavior, pushed these people further into their paganism and further into their idolatry because he wasn't doing what the Lord had called him to do. Samson was meant to be a pillar and a testimony to the almighty power of the only one and true living God. But his life became a testimony of 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 weakness to the Philistines. His lifestyle seemed to demonstrate to them that his life was unchanged and he was unable to overcome temptation. 
In fact, it wasn't that he was unable. It was just that he was made a willing choice to break his Nazarite vow, to not devote his life to the Lord, and to go visit prostitutes all the time. You know, uh, That wasn't God's fault. That was Samson's choice. He chose to not control himself and to indulge his sinful nature. And so we can't get cozy with sin. If we take an honest look within our own lives, we can probably identify a situation or two where we're starting to get a little more comfortable with us, some attitude or some behavior that isn't godly and, and that we have no business being around. That's just the struggle that we're in as we struggle against the flesh here in this imperfect side of eternity. And, and if we don't believe that a little immorality or a little ungodliness is going to hurt us, then we are just denying the word of God, which goes to great lengths to warn God's people about the captivity and blindness that sin brings into our lives. And so we need to look into God's word and say, man, this is what God says about this behavior or this attitude or this temptation. And I need to believe that and make sure that that is not creeping in. That vermin isn't creeping into my life and undermining what the Lord is doing. But aside from the sinfulness of man that we struggle with in this passage, we also see the magnificent faithfulness of God. You know, we, we have to take a moment and look at this story, see how the Lord worked. And we get to that verse, verse 20, and it's a little bit disconcerting at first. It says there that God had departed from Samson. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Um, but before we get too worried about that, we need to understand that the way God came upon his people was different during the Old Testament period. During that time, there was no permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we enjoy today. And so what God would do is he would, the Bible says, come upon his people for you know, specific amounts of time. And then his power would come upon them and, he, you know, and Samson could lift gates and kill people with jawbones and do this stuff. And then the Spirit would not be upon him for different times. And so that, that's what it's talking about. When it says that the Lord had departed from Samson, it means that the power of God had give, that, that the Lord had given to Samson uh, to do incredible feats of strength had been lifted. Uh, and, and as you read the story, it's clear that the Lord was watching Samson and present with him and there to help him when Samson called out to him. I mean, it's very clear. Uh, he, God was there hearing him pray, bringing him hope, and even intervening on his behalf there at the end of his life. And this is a remarkable thing when you think about the way that Samson actually lived his life. You know, uh, I look at his decisions and his attitude and his lifestyle in the book of Judges, and you think, all right, come on, are you kidding me? Like, is this guy even a believer? Like, is this guy really going to be in heaven? Because look at this. Like, it's ridiculous. Of course, then you get over to Hebrews in chapter 11, and it says this, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, uh, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of, the, of aliens of whom the world was not worthy. And so God, looking at this flawed and fleshly individual that, I'm, that I look at, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, how could, why, please, Samson, don't go down to the prostitute's house again. Like, please don't do it. But God looks down at that, that man, and he says, man, this is, this is my son here. This is one of my people. This is a man who I love and who I want to fill and who I will be with. And what Samson did with his life was terrible. It ended in complete des desperation and destruction. 
But the Lord was there with him, ready to do what he had always wanted to do through his life. That's the situation we also find ourselves in. In fact, we find ourselves in a better situation since we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us moment by moment. We are a people for whom God has an incredible plan, an incredible power, and an incredible presence. Just like Samson. Yet, like Samson, God provides us with a will to choose how we're going to live out our lives before him. And though it breaks the Lord's heart, he will allow us to leave his plan and his provision and his protection. The New Testament calls out some believers specifically. It says outright, hey, you have left your first love. You have left it and you've rejected what the Lord wants. You're outside of what the Lord wants for you. And God lets us do that. He lets us get lulled to sleep if we are willing to do that and if we're giving ourselves away to that ungodliness. Samson, it's clear, was not interested in living a godly life. Yes, God used him, but look at how his life resulted. Blind, bound, tormented. He had to endure the consequences of his sin. You know, the Lord didn't say, okay, you feel bad about what you did, and so there are no consequences now. I'm going to give you your eyes back. We're going to do all that. The Lord says, hey, you want to go down that road? I'm going to give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to, to not give yourself away to this temptation and to this sin. And then after a point, if you say, I want to, I want to go, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I want to go the opposite way. The Lord will say, okay, well, then you can go. Even there, there is mercy and forgiveness. Uh, even there, God was willing to interact with Samson, uh, but the consequences still remained. The consequences were a real part of his life. And so for us this morning, I want us to take home the idea that we serve an incredibly faithful God. We serve a God who does, who does forgive and who does pursue us even when we're choosing to reject him even when we're fighting against his plan for our lives and his desire for our lives. But on the flip side, we need to understand and get real with what sin does to our lives, how it binds us and blinds us, how it makes us captives when God's desire is victory. Uh, God's desire is conquest for our spiritual lives. God's desire for us is ministry. And sin knocks all that stuff out. It crushes all of that stuff away. Our sin destroys our strength. It destroys the testimony or effectiveness that we should have had in the lives of the people around us. And it takes us out of the place of intimacy and fullness and abundance that God so wants for our relationship with him. And so we've got to root out sin before it chains us down. And we need to look within as we see God's word and as we see it describing what sin is and how it works. We need to look within then and apply that to our lives and say, okay, is that, see, Lord, if there be any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting and turn from that sin and follow in the way of the Lord. Um, we need to root it out before the world around us is just laughing at our Messiah, laughing at our lives, laughing at our testimony before we've missed out on what God wanted for us. Uh, if we find ourselves constrained, if we find ourselves in some sort of spiritual imprisonment, as it were, may it be for the glory of God. May it not be because of the wages of our sin. May it be the Lord that directed us there for his purposes, not because we were decided to follow after some carnal, fleshly pursuit and temptation. Um, our God is faithful. We see that in this passage and so let us be faithful as well. Amen? Amen. All right.